patients because I'm still trying to get a little bit of dinner in. Sounds good. Just know that I'm I'm still here and listening. <laughs> okay. All right. And then you guys are now live. All right. Good evening. This is the City of Alameda Transportation Commission meeting today, January 25th. And we're going to go ahead and call the meeting to order. We still have Assembly Bill 361. So if you wouldn't mind reading that, Lisa, I'd appreciate it. Yes, pursuant to Assembly Bill 361 codified at Government Code Section 54953, transportation commissioners can attend the meeting via teleconference. The city allows public participation via Zoom. Thank you. And let's go ahead and go into agenda item one roll call. All right, Commissioner Johnson. Present. Commissioner Colstrand will be absent today. Commissioner Noctegal. Here. Chair Stoltz? Here. Commissioner Susanthira? Recording in progress. Know, Caltrans has started work on resurfacing and safety improvements on Encinal Avenue. I don't have any updates on that project right now. You might be seeing some parking meters without meter mechanisms in them right now. Uh, in December, the city upgraded all of our single space parking meters to 4G connection because 3G was going to not be supported anymore. Um, that work is now complete, but some of the mechanisms are still out for screen repairs. Um, so a reminder to the public that posted time limits still apply when meters are inoperable. In terms of city council actions on items reviewed by the Transportation Commission, we had a couple significant ones since our last meeting. On December 20th, the city council adopted the active transportation plan with a couple of, a few amendments. One is to prioritize the 8th Street Westline Drive Bicycle and Pedestrian rail, Trail Project um, into the 2030 Low Stress Backbone Network. So moving up the timeline a bit on that. 
to retain existing Slow Street designations on Santa Clara Avenue and Orion Street until projects on parallel streets are complete. For instance, uh, Central Project near Santa Clara and clarifying that low stress bicycling and walking facilities across the Miller Sweeney's Bridge, the Fruitvale Bridge, can be implemented without bridge retrofit or replacement. And then last week on January 17th, the City Council adopted the street classifications appendix to the general mobility, general plan mobility element with no amendments. And I wanna thank commissioners again who served on the subcommittee for that item. Uh, in terms of meetings, I wanted to confirm that in-person hybrid meetings will begin in March for all boards and commissions. And so that means that with only a few limited exceptions, commissioners will be required to attend in person, or if not, the agenda will have to list their location and the location will have to be open to the public. And I've also been asked to do roll call for votes so we'll no longer um, just raise hands for votes. I'll, I'll call on commissioners for your votes when we have an item that is an action item. And that ends my communications. Thank you, Lisa. That will close out staff communications and we get to agenda item four just announcements and public comment. I'll ask for announcements from any of my fellow commissioners first. Commissioner Whitesey. I think this fits an announcement, sort of my own public comment on something, I guess. Um, I would love the city to take a look at the uh, no right turn on red sign that currently is at the intersection of Apazado and Webster. Uh, it is misplaced. It is placed uh, far before the stop sign and, oh, sorry, far before the <laughs> stop lights. And so people actually go past that sign, don't realize there is no right turn on red and quite frequently turn right from Webster onto Apazado. I, I see more cars do it than not do it. And it's honestly just because of the sign saying no right turn is in the wrong place. And also that there is no dedicated uh, right uh, red arrow on the stop sign itself. One of those two things should probably be fixed because it's it's much, it's very frequent. It's, it happens more often than it doesn't happen that people are going through that on red. So uh, thank you for your consideration. Thank you. Any other announcements? All right, seeing that, I'm going to open up public comment. Um, just as a reminder, this is public comment for things that are not on the agenda for the commission this evening. So if you have any public comments that are unrelated to our regular agenda or um, items that are under specifically 6A, that's the Clement and Tilden Way project, please hold those until we get to our agenda item. If you have a more general comment, please raise your hand now so we can call on you. I see three hands up. Yeah, uh, currently we have 17 attendees and the first speaker will be Denise Trepanier. Good evening. Thank you, Chair Souls and Transportation Commissioners. Um, my name is Denise Trepanier, and I'm the board president for Bike Walk Alameda. Um, and I want to comment on the statement, um, not everyone can ride a bike. That statement has been bandied about as a reason to question plans that would meet our city council's approved objectives to get more people biking and fewer people driving. Those are objectives that we've stated and approved in our general plan, 
our climate plan, our vision, vision zero action plan, and many others. We need to align on plans and policies that make that happen. Unfortunately, instead, in this commission's discussions on both the street classifications as part of the general plan and the active transportation plan, we've heard several transportation commissioners to urge caution because not everyone can ride a bike. First, I'd like to say that no one who is seriously working on our transportation issues has ever suggested that everyone has to ride a bike. Our staff has never suggested it or in anything they've ever recommended. And even I, who is probably one of the most ardent vocal cycling advocates in town has never suggested that everyone has to ride a bike. Language like that only inflames the divide between our road users by conjuring up images of people who want or need to drive not being able to anymore. That idea or target isn't in any proposal or plan. I hope we can agree that such framing is divisive and since it serves no productive purpose should be avoided. Second, I would hope as transportation professionals, you would appreciate the responsibility of moving the conversation forward and focus on the more than half of Alameda residents, 55% who said they would drive less if biking and walking in Alameda were safer. That's a huge number and a great opportunity to meet our goals. Let's embrace it proactively and positively in both our actions and our words. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. The next speaker will be Jim Strelo. Good evening. Can you hear me? Yes, please go ahead. Okay. Uh, I was biking uh, southbound along High Street where I was interrupted by a sign, watch out for bikes. The, the electronic sign was placed where normally I would be riding along the curbside of uh, High Street to avoid cars that may be passing me. And then the sign is there and then I have to go into the uh, traffic lane in order to avoid the watch out for bikes sign. Huh? So I just think that placing electronic signs like that is counteracting, is not doing what you want it to do because it makes it more dangerous for me on the bike. Uh, when will the newly paved roadway east of Posey Tube open is a question. Uh, I saw no bicycling during the weeks of rain, so that please remember that uh, you know that you can't always ride a bike when there's heavy wind and rains going on. Huh? But my main thing that I want to bring attention to is, is that the shoreline bike lane that comes from that I was at South Shore, uh, Franciscan Way, traveling on Oak Street, which is that little uh, thing right uh, next to the McDonald's. And uh, normally I'm bicycling and uh, turn into the bike lane, but during the rains that uh, just by force of habit while I was driving my car, I accidentally turned left into the bike lane uh, with my car. Uh, and it's just force of habit. I get used to riding my bike and, uh, down there in South Shore. But the way that that intersection is uh, designed, that it actually, uh, you know, that uh, I felt, you know, it, it allowed me to make that mistake. And I don't think that you should, allow, should have a design that allows such mistakes because had it been, any other time, you know, not a rainy day when there were, you know, maybe more bicycles in the rain, 
Uh, there could have been a serious injury happening there. Uh, so I ask you to take a look at that uh, design and see whether or not a center post or something needs to be put in like it exists on Clement Avenue and, and other places to prevent vehicles from accidentally going into the bike lane. And I'm talking there here on the Shoreline Drive bike lane. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. The next speaker will be Cindy Johnson. Hello. Good evening. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead, Cindy. Good evening, Transportation Commissioners. I just wanted to share a reading that's relevant to our Vision Zero initiatives that I think people who care about street safety might enjoy. It's by Jesse Singer and it's called There Are No Accidents. If you've ever found yourself talking about a traffic, in quote, accident, I highly recommend reading this book. The author is a journalist who illustrates how often what we call accidents are in fact far from accidental. They are instead the inevitable end result of policy choices. She looks back in history over lots of different industries and incidents and shares how so-called accidents are not random. There are patterns and trends which, we can, which can be identified and addressed. She talks a lot about blame and focusing on the last causal factor too, and how those can distract from fixing problems. The implications for straight, street safety are huge. Many other countries have already made the choice to change and make their streets safer. The United States has unfortunately become the poster child of how not to do transportation in so many ways, and our failure with safety is right up there at the top of the list. We've been lagging. I lost you there, Cindy. Um, Cindy, I can't hear you, so I'm going to... Okay, you're back. Let's go ahead and see if we can hear you now. I'll let her uh, keep your hand raised and we'll go to the next speaker and then we'll come back and see if your audio problems are corrected. Uh, let's go on to John Spangler, please. Good evening. Uh, Good evening. And uh, thank you for your work. I was a charter member of the Transportation Commission in 2002 after years of working with people like Cindy Johnson to make it reality. And I appreciate the progress that the city of Alameda has made. Uh, I want to briefly second what Denise Trepanier said, and also Cindy Johnson's point about terminology and the book recommendation. Accidents is the wrong term. Collision is accurate. It is more neutral. And it recognizes the fact that there is usually a conscious human choice or set of choices that are made before any collision takes place, such as delaying the repair of brakes, driving under the influence, uh, driving without sunglasses into bright lights, things of that sort. Uh, and on a personal note, I want to say that it's very interesting living on Ensenal and watching the initial work on the crosswalks and the signal changes that people are trying to get done in this interesting, very wet winter. Um, I'm looking forward to Ensenal being repaved and having the new configuration that it is intended to have um, thanks to Caltrans and the work that the city of Alameda has done. So thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. The next speaker will be Michael Sullivan. 
Good evening, please go ahead. Um, Michael, if you're speaking, we cannot hear you. I don't see that you're on mute via Zoom, so I don't know if that's the problem. Hello, is it better now? Yes, please go ahead. All right, thank you. Um, one of the previous speakers mentioned about the recent rains and said that no one was biking because of the rains and the wind. Um, during those recent rains, while it was actively raining, I was out several times with my, my wife biking, uh, biking to the store, shopping. I saw at least you know a dozen other bike, bikers riding around on Pacific Slow Street and on other streets. I saw a woman with her child in a covered trailer behind her car, I mean, behind her bike. So I, I just want to say that, you know, while it's raining, while there's not as many bikes out there, there are people who do use their bikes in those situations. So we can't just discount that rains mean that bikes are no longer viable. Thank you. Thank you. And then we have Cindy Johnson, who may have audio now. You wouldn't mind pulling her back in. Yeah. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, yeah, so I was just recommending that book and saying that our country, we've been laggards when it comes to making tough policy choices about designing safe streets and regulating the size and speed of vehicles. Um, and there's much we can do at every level of government. And this book does a great job of showing us how and why recognizing that most accidents are not in fact accidents is so important. Again, it's called There Are No Accidents by Jesse Singer. It was named one of the best books of 2022 by Slate, Mother Jones and The Economist, and it's available at our library. I highly recommend checking it out. Thanks. Thank you. I don't see any further public comment. Um, am I correct that we don't have any other channels with public comments, um, commenters waiting? Can you just confirm? Uh, correct, no one else is raising their hand at the time. Okay, thank you. I'm gonna close out agenda item four and move on to the consent calendar item five. We have the uh, revised draft meeting minutes from October 20th and I was just looking I think we had some commissioners that are present that were not there so Commissioner Whitesey was absent present were uh, myself Chair Souls as well as Vice Chair Ewan Commissioner Colstrain who's absent tonight as well as Commissioner Johnson Commissioner Supinthera and Commissioner Noctegal so we do have quorum to be able to approve these minutes if you guys have read them and have any comments or clarifications um, please let me know, or I'll entertain a motion to approve. Commissioner Noctegal? I'll motion to approve the minutes. Thank you. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, Vice Chair Ewan? I second. Thank you, I appreciate that. We'll take a roll call. Uh, the motion on the table is to approve the meeting minutes from October 20th, and just a quick thank you for um, the extra work that was put into these by staff and reading through them just faithfully representing not just the commissioners, but the people who have taken their time to submit public comments. I appreciate the extra work and we look forward to that trend continuing in future minutes. With that, I'll turn it over to Lisa so we can do a roll call vote. Commissioner Johnson. Aye. Commissioner Colstrain is absent. Chair Souls. Aye. Commissioner Susan Thera. Aye. And Commissioner Whitesey. I uh, will have to abstain. Okay. Commissioner Noctegal was not called on. 
Oh, excuse me, Commissioner Nuxtagall? Aye. And Vice Chair Ewan? Aye. Thank you. Motion passes unanimously with one abstention. <clears throat> can I can I add a note, uh, Chair? Please go ahead. Yeah, I would like to thank the staff for um, you know updating the minutes with more uh, details um, in the minutes. So yeah, they have some nice timestamps in there too. If you haven't looked at them, so they're useful record. All right, that closes out the consent calendar. We'll move on to agenda item six, which is the regular agenda for this evening. Under 6A, we have an action by the commission tonight to make a recommendation um, to endorse the design concept for the Clement Avenue and Tilden Way project uh, as it goes to council. And with that, I will turn it over to staff um, to present us with information on a lot of outreach and design plans and everything else that's been done. So I'll turn it over to you, Gail, I believe. Yes. Thank Hi. you, Chair Souls. And good evening, Chair Souls and Vice Chair Ewan and Transportation Commissioners. It's great to see you this evening. And I just, before Mike uh, starts up the presentation, I just want to give a, a big shout out to everyone who helped out with this concept and putting it together. It, it's one of these things that does take a village to create a concept. And, and, it, and we, one thing I love about Alameda is we all are, we're a very diverse community. And so we did try to capture the diverse comments and respond. And, and that's what this concept is. And with that, I would like to introduce while we're here on the screen, we have Kittleson, we're fortunate to have Kittleson here and Mike Alston is the project manager. And we also have Hermana Stein, who's the principal in charge. And just if you recall, it's it's been two years now when they were here uh, doing roundabout education. And so we've been down this path for a while on roundabouts. And it and so with every time we we present a roundabout, we go through some type of roundabout education. And it's on the web pages and all that. So I just wanted to, to remind you about that. And also just to say thank you to city staff. We have Robert Vance and Tofi Kalabi, who are the engineers on staff and public works. We have other staff here, all sorts of staff who have helped. And with that, if you could bring up the presentation, Mike, I'd appreciate it. And if you could just flip it to the second page, that would be great. And just the the one other thing about the team participation, we did have a stakeholder group that met three different times. And we also met uh, on, with separate focus groups. Now with the age of Zoom, it's just super easy just to um, hit someone up with, with a, a getting their input. So that we, we really took advantage of that. And I just wanted to orient you, the orange is where the study area is. And if you also look where Fruitvale BART is, it's just a couple minute bus ride and it's a five to 10 minute bike ride. And so that's just to help orient you on where we're at in the city. And next slide, please. Project goals, safety is paramount. That's our primary concern is to make it safer. We also wanna improve mobility, extend out the Cross Alameda Trail and improve mobility though for all users, especially the truck route, 
improving that and also the bus operations. Sea level rise is in our future, as we saw with the atmospheric rivers. Flood reduction is part of is a goal here, and gre reducing greenhouse gas emissions and complying with plans. Next slide, please. We are fortunate to have received a Measure BB grant. It actually is not federal money, so that's also fortunate. The grant is eight point four million, and with the required local match, makes it ten million. The city did purchase the Union Pacific right-of-way, which is the dirt patch north of Tilden Way that runs along from the bridge all the way to Clement Avenue and Broadway. That was for one point, about six million. They did leave behind some soil contamination. We're reserving one million in the budget to clean up the soil. And that leaves about 6.2 million for construction to fill the, or to extend the cross Alameda trail, make it safer and improve that truck route, uh, extending it to Clement Avenue. Next slide, please. We had two rounds of outreach focused. That's what we did in 2022, existing conditions analysis, and then brainstormed initial ideas. And now we're requesting your endorsement of the design concept We'll be also going to the Recreation and Park Commission February 9th and then City Council on March 7th. Finish, and then we this year we will be working on design, starting construction 2024 and then ending in 2025. And the grant does expire in 2025. And we hope to not need an extension and we're not sure if we would get one. And Alameda CTC, they're the grant provider. Next slide, please. And this is my last slide, and then I'll hand it off to Mike. And just on the two rounds of outreach, we have all that information is on the web page. If you want to look at all the details of the surveys and, and all that, we most interest is in the surveys because it's just easier. People can do surveys on their own time. We did try in-person open houses, weren't a lot of attendees yet. We wanted to meet people where they're at, so we did try that. And what we found out is, as you see all the red on the bottom right, and that people are dissatisfied. People are dissatisfied with operations and the safety of this study area. And then we broke it out. Kilson had a good idea of breaking it out by mode. And the only people who actually are satisfied are the bus riders. I thought that was interesting. And the biggest comment they had it was about speeding, wanting connectivity for bicyclists, improving pedestrian crossings, more greenery. There's in general wanting just some concern about truck traffic. And even though 78% are supportive of the roundabout in this study, in this concept, there's still concern about how the roundabout's going to function because we don't have a roundabout in the city at the moment. And so there's, and also at this site in particular. So that is, and, and just I'll leave you with that some of the stats is that there were 800 unique users viewing the webpage, the project webpage. And we did send out a letter to adjacent properties, 350. We sent out actually two letters. And we also sent out almost 2,000 people received an email announcing this meeting and the March 7th city council meeting. And with that, I 
pass it to Mike. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gail. Can you hear me okay? Yes, thank you. Great. Okay, so I think we have about 10 minutes to get through the technical presentation here. So there's quite a bit of information. It's also in the packet and on the project website. Uh, so I'm gonna move through it at a fairly brisk pace, but of course we can go back to anything uh, to answer clarification questions. So these are some slides that uh, folks who have attended the, the two rounds of engagement, whether it was the workshops or the, um, the online meetings have seen before, but it's just setting the stage for how we made the decisions and how we got to where we are today. So Gail mentioned safety being paramount, a big concern for the project and study area here. The red lines and circles indicate high injury corridors and locations from the Vision Zero Action Plan. So we're dealing with high injury locations. Uh, not shown here is Park Street, which is a uh, tier one, so a high uh, the highest of high injury corridors, and that's relevant for some slides we'll talk about later. We're also just showing 10 years of, of crash history at this location, uh, and that's 21 total reported injury crashes over that 10-year period ending in 2020. Uh, we also did some other work on existing conditions, including collecting traffic counts and understanding how travel times work through this area. Uh, and so what we did is we analyzed the weekday PM peak hour, so basically that evening rush hour, uh, so the, you know usually the busiest time of the day, busiest time of the week. Uh, and then we also took counts in 2021 and adjusted them upward by about 25% because we know that our 2021 traffic counts and traffic volumes were a little lower than what we saw back before COVID. Uh, so we actually did do an adjustment to say, hey, what if they grew by 25% above what we saw, which is quite a bit. Uh, so that's what we're looking at here. Even with that adjustment, um, this area still operates under capacity during the busiest time and then well under capacity throughout the day. So outside of those peak hours. And I'll just say one other thing that I think is interesting about the traffic volumes as we're now approaching three years since COVID began, um, we took those counts in 2021 came back in 2022 and are still seeing volumes that both throughout the day and in the peak that are much lower than before COVID. So there's an open question about, well, are we really gonna get returned to pre-COVID levels? Um, as Gail mentioned, this area sits at the very Eastern end of the Cross Alameda Trail. So connecting to that um, for people walking and biking is a high priority. Um, the area is also very well served by transit. So this bowl of spaghetti here is the AC transit lines operating through the area. So a lot converge and diverge here. Um, we've been coordinating with AC transit throughout this process, uh, and they've emphasized repeatedly that, that serving the shopping center is a, is a priority. They don't want to lose or move bus stops there. And in fact, we look for opportunities to improve it. We've definitely been taking that into account. Um, one other thing that Gail mentioned is the truck connections. And so what I'm showing here is these blue lines are the truck routes or the truck network for both Oakland and Alameda. So we put them together to kind of see what the connections are across the water. And there's two major ways that connect truck routes on either side. That's the Park Street Bridge and the Miller-Sweeney Bridge. Um, the High Street has a connection, of course, but it's not a truck route on the Alameda side. Uh, a key piece of this is to look at providing that missing link and connecting the truck network. So this just gives you a sense of where and how trucks can get to and from locations in the city. A little bit more data on trucks. Uh, we looked at a regional truck study 
that was commissioned by Caltrans. So one thing that noted is that Park Street Bridge has about four to five times the truck activity as the Miller-Sweeney Bridge. That's all sizes of trucks. We then, I apologize to move so briskly, but we then collected our own data and actually um, cut it down to just large trucks, so trucks with trailers. So this is uh, a few days of counts to see what the average daily traffic was. The highlights here are actually with, when we talk about just trucks with trailers, pretty similar levels of volume across both of those two bridges, up to 5% of daily traffic on those routes, um, balanced volumes throughout the day. Uh, one interesting note, and you can see here, Clement is the truck route, actually carries fewer trucks with trailers than Blanding does, which is not the intent of the truck route, right? You want the trucks on, on the blue lines. Uh, and so that's where we think, okay, what's, what's going on here? Is it a missing connection? That sort of thing. So one goal here was to investigate, well, could we connect the truck route and put trucks where we intend for them to be? as opposed to say being on blanding and possibly coming down and turning on the park. So with all that, we actually have gone through several iterations of concepts to get to what I'm showing today. And I'm gonna show it to you in two parts. And I just, there's a lot to say and we'll have a, a robust discussion I'm sure, but I just wrote some notes to make sure I hit the right high points here. So one note here and remind me, Gil, you can see my cursor as I'm moving around, is that right? Yes. Okay. So one note here is right about where this, this black line is, is we're matching to a county project, which will restripe the bridge and we'll have a four lane cross section. So that's what we're matching to. So everything above that line is out of our control. Um, the section to and from the bridge, there's a few things I wanna to mention to you. One, you'll notice the transition from four lanes to two. So a lane reduction, which is really a safety and speed uh, design move that's intended to uh, slow vehicles and serve a single lane roundabout. Only one lane is needed at the roundabout. One author, one other thing that's critical about the connection to the Cross Alameda Trail is getting people walking and biking out of the roadway here from the bridge to heading into town, a separated bike lane uh, and a sidewalk, a walking path uh, with a connection to the waterfront trail here. Uh, on the other side of Tilden would be a shared multi-use path. So that's what the dark blue indicates. Um, and that's what we can accomplish without having um, property or right-of-way implications. So for this whole design, there's no, um, there's no takes necessary. We're all within public right-of-way. And so that's some of the constraints that we came up against is staying within public right-of-way. You'll also notice that we have um, close this Pearl Street. So you can see on the left side compared to the right side, we've closed this Pearl Street connection to the bridge, which has some crash history associated with it um, and has quite a few conflicts. So that really simplifies operations. So drivers, if they want to get across the bridge, they can't do that cut through anymore with this concept. Um, and then I guess I should also mention there's a roundabout, uh, a single lane roundabout right here at, um, at Tilden Planning and Fernside, which is really the safest intersection alternative uh, for everyone using the road here. So a single lane roundabout, I mentioned the capacity earlier. So a single lane roundabout can handle the volumes that we've seen. I have a slide on that in a moment. Um, other opportunities that we have call outs for and we can come back to include connections to the waterfront trail, lots of landscaping and public space opportunities, including where the former rail platform was. Um, and then there is a little bit of parking loss and parking removal associated with some corners here. 
So including Fernside, but noting that Pearl Street has abundant street parking right around the corner. I'm now gonna flip to the other location, which had a lot of public sentiment around safety, uh, which is Broadway and Tilden. So a few things to note here, you can now see this concept includes connecting the truck route on Clement Avenue. That would be a one-way connection. I can only come here and turn right onto this one-way connection to get to Clement. I can't turn left onto it. So it's really that movement off the bridge to get to Clement. Uh, we have raised crosswalks, both at the roundabout and here. So raised crossing there. Let's see, I have a couple other comments here. We're also closing this right turn slip lane here. The very small number of people are making these sharp right turns um, today. And so simplifying operations here actually would allow people, it would really reduce conflicts and conflict areas for people walking and biking, so improving safety, and then also help people get through the intersection um, with fewer movements and a little bit simpler operations. I've got the, the I'm showing, we're showing the separated bike lane on the north side here, continuing to that cross Alameda trail. So it's two way operations here and they would cross coming into town. They would cross at the roundabout and I'll go back, I apologize. Coming into town, they'd cross right here at the north leg of the roundabout and then heading out of town. The intent would be to come over here and either cross here or again here and head in the direction of traffic. And again, that's really connecting to a county condition where it's very narrow on the sides of the bridge and then there would be a bike lane. So we really want people to be traveling in the same direction as vehicle traffic. Okay. In terms of overall evaluation, a few things to mention, tying back to the goals that Gail mentioned very early on, really emphasizing prioritizing safety. So lots of changes at Broadway and Tilden uh, and then the roundabout as well, all intended and shown to reduce speeds, simplify movements, simplify driver movements, um, shorten crossings where possible, and then actually adding a few crossings in so people can walk more uh, and get through the area more easily, restricting some of those high conflict movements, like I mentioned at Pearl, um, reducing truck volumes along Park Street by giving them that direct connection on Clement, uh, and then trucks connecting to Clement actually don't need to cross over the Cross Alameda Trail. Uh, and again, improving mobility for all roadway users. I hope you could see from the previous slides that there's more robust and more complete connections for people walking and biking. Uh, I have one location where we want to improve the bus stop. Uh, and then improving walking and biking also encourages and helps mode shift. And lastly, that direct truck access helps improve mobility for trucks as well. We have landscaping opportunities, and then really this idea of, well, let's comply with the city plans and policies. That really means completing that general plan truck network. Very quickly, I wanna talk about a few details and considerations. So I mentioned raised crosswalks. Um, that might be a new concept to a few folks, but really the idea there is that uh, it promotes yielding, promotes slower speeds. Uh, it makes, it's in line with promoting uh, visibility and, and higher yielding for people crossing. Um, and they absolutely are compatible with large vehicles. So you can design it such that really you're keeping people at that same slow speed they're operating through the roundabout at. Uh, what I'm showing here is actually a without project and with project average travel time delay. 
So I mentioned the lane reduction, but really the key take home here is the roundabout allows people to operate and get through the intersection more efficiently. So if I'm on the side streets here, Fernside and Blanding, rather than waiting for just 15 seconds out of every minute where I get a green light, I can find a gap in traffic and keep moving. So actually at some of these locations, even though there's a lane reduction, the average delay actually goes down. Uh, and then just a few more things, and we really put these in here because of what we've heard over the summer. One big question is, hey, what happens with respect to the roundabout when the bridge goes up? So we've done our homework on the bridge and we understand uh, it, over the past few years, it comes up about two to three times a day, about a five to 10 minute event. And the simple answer to the question of what happens is people wait in line for the bridge to go back down. So we've got pictures here of an existing condition. This is looking towards the bridge uh, and really that wouldn't change, right? So when the bridge goes up, if you are in line, you just wait. Sometimes that comes back to the intersection and sometimes not. On a good day, drivers don't block the intersection. Currently, there's no communication between the signal and the bridge. Uh, and so it's, again, there's aligned forms and then it dissipates when the bridge lowers. Um, in terms of roundabouts, it's kind of similar to rail crossing. And there's lots of good examples of where roundabouts operate near rail crossings when the gate arms go down. Also, we've heard a lot about, hey, what about emergency and evacuation scenarios? And I want to say that the city is studying managed evacuation scenarios right now. So a lot of information on this page, but quite simply, you can think about an evacuation scenario if it's a tsunami warning. There's an unmanaged scenario where everyone tries to get out, however, makes sense. And there's a managed scenario where you can actually um, have traffic control officers. In, in the unmanaged scenario case, if people are going through the intersection, eventually they'll get to Fruitvale Avenue on the other side where it really drops to one lane. So there's a little bit of a bottleneck on the other side of the bridge, no matter what this project does. In a managed scenario, uh, you actually could run the roundabout in sort of a contraflow fashion. We've got a little sketch here showing that. You could actually have someone out there and you could funnel people um, to travel out of town. So there are some options there. But again, really comes down to what happens on the other side of the bridge in Oakland. And then lastly, I'm showing, um, and I want to emphasize what I'm showing here, queue uh, lengths. So how long the line is to get through the intersection in the worst 15 minutes of the worst hour of the day. Uh, and so the dark lines there are the average and the lighter lines are the worst 5% of the worst 15 minutes of the worst hour of the day. And so this is a rather conservative traffic engineering measure that says, hey, how bad could things get uh, for you know a few minutes of the day? The orange shows us the no build and the Green shows us the build. And what I want to draw your attention to, as I mentioned earlier, with a roundabout, these folks on Blanding and Fernside are actually able to find opportunities to get through a little bit more easily. And then on Tilden, there's with existing conditions, a little bit longer line that actually clears pretty quickly. When we adjust that up 25%, we see Tilden, for a few minutes of the worst 15 minutes of the worst hour of the day. Uh, on average, can be a little bit longer queue, even though it does still clear quickly. And then maybe a few minutes a day, the modeling shows it could go out to the bridge. 
So again, it's a, a very conservative traffic engineering measure to kind of play that what if analysis. What about, and this is my last slide, I promise. So we're at 22 minutes. Uh, so what about if traffic volumes do grow by say 25% or by even more in the future? First, setting aside other factors that, that might make it challenging for tra traffic to grow that much. In other words, getting from other places in the city to this area. I just wanna mention that there is a way to manage uh, roundabouts that get over capacity. And it's been done by a few agencies and you essentially put up a meter um, to say, hey, if, if the line gets really long on one entry, we're actually gonna just stop the next entry and just let people in one, two, three at a time. Uh, and you can basically manage that queue. So that's just kind of looking way down the line about, hey, what happens from a resiliency standpoint about uh, if traffic volumes continue to grow? So that's probably a novel idea to a few folks. So I wanted to just mention it. Okay. Uh, and then we have a couple of education slides. Actually, commissioners, you have seen these before, but we have them just in case they come up in conversation. So I'm gonna buzz straight through to next steps. Uh, and Gail mentioned these earlier slated for city council in March, and then the following two years. And I, again, apologize, I went through a lot of information very quickly, but I'm happy to spend more time on, on any of those slides. Great job, thank you, Mike. I, I have no further comments at this point. Okay. Well, let's see. I'm going to see if we have um, any clarifying. If you could take the presentation down so I can see commissioners. Thank you. There may be some questions from commissioners, but there may also be some um, questions through public comments. Um, so if there are any clarifying questions from commissioners, let's do those first, and then we'll take public comment. <clears throat> and then at that time, if staff would like to, um, or, or your consultant provide any clarifications and questions for both together as we discuss, then we can do it that way. So I'll open the floor to commissioners for any clarifications. Commissioner Whitesey. I'm getting old and my eyes don't work as well as they used to, so I have to ask this question. Um, if Could we put the slide back up that actually shows uh, it's where Blanding and Tilden intersect? I just, I, I want to, I'm not clear if it is a crosswalk and a bike lane that are combined or if they actually have kept them separate. I realize in the other example at a different crossing, they were specifically highlighted as separate, but uh, I just wasn't clear. Yeah, that guy right there, is that, because it looks like they're, we're, being put into a mixed use path, maybe? Is, is, it, is it basically, I'm sorry, I'll be short. Is, are those separate or, those, or is it basically one path that both are bikes and pedestrians uh, as we cross the street? So the, 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 short, the shortest answer is that is shared. And the slightly longer answer is um, you can see, if you see those faint dark lines, uh, those are property. <laughs> property lines. And so we're trying to avoid both the mortuary and the shopping center. And so that's the most constrained corner to remain within public right away. So this is what we're showing right now without survey. Um, the, in, the intent is always to provide walking and biking separate wherever possible, but knowing that in a few locations that might have to be shared. So, but there is the possibility of separating those out slightly once you guys actually get actual measurements. I, I don't want to overpromise. But yeah, yes. sure. 
let's say possibility is fine. Um, and I just wanted to, I, again, clarifying question because we're on this slide anyway. So as I understood the explanation for the, for the dedicated and protected bike lanes, um, you have two-way bike lanes essentially that dead end as we get towards the bridge, squinting here. And then the goal, so the goal would be that people leaving the island would have already crossed to the other side and that they would use this this mixed use multi-use path because you're constrained with what the bridge allows you to do so there is kind of a there's kind of a, a dead end there i guess it's not really a dead end i guess it brings you to the waterfront trail technically but there is sort of a strange uh finish to the two way it's two ways is, is that am i reading that correctly but yeah that's exactly right so that the 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 reason that that bike lane would travel back towards the bridge is just simply to provide the connection to the waterfront trail. If you imagine, again, using my cursor. Um, Mike, do, yes. you, do you mind going to the other PDF that's just the concept and oh, not this whole yes. slideshow? Yes, yes, yes. Because not of, all of us are as young as you are. Agree with Gail. <laughs> Let's see. Okay. Yeah, and we can zoom in on this. So, okay, are you able to see this? And we can see a little bit. Great. So yeah, so that's exactly right. So this is really just getting you to that waterfront path and trail. Um, if you can imagine coming from the Cross Alameda Trail, the idea is that the natural path, and there'd probably be some signage here to tell you, hey, Oakland's this way. Natural path guides you here across into the bridge. But but everything that you said is is true. And that pathway that's going off, sorry, I'm just, I'm just trying to visualize here, that pathway that's going off the island that is for, it would be for bikes and pedestrians, and that is a, that there's a railing there between the street and the pathway or something, or is it? Here? Is it, yes. Oh, yeah, this would be uh, essentially a constructed separated island, like a, like a median. median but there, 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 there is some, there is some structure that would go in there. It's not just a line of paint that says good that's luck. correct that's okay. correct I, that's what i need to know thank you for your help appreciate it vice chair ewan i actually think commissioner johnson had his hands hand up first thank you i just saw that there's an order here commissioner johnson thank you sorry about that please no that's okay um chair souls and this i don't know if this is a clarifying question but i you know thanks staff for this presentation i had a, um, a question for gail um, I know she mentioned that there is a going to be a, if I have the, the numbers on a million dollars to clean up the soil. Um, and I'm very curious about um, what that process looks like. How is the soil going to be disposed? Do we have to if depending on the route, do we have to sort of speak with the city of Oakland surrounding stakeholders? Because sometimes when you have that sort of thing and you start digging things up, um, it it can create an issue. So I'm, I'm just curious about that 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 process and what that looks like and what the communication will be with surrounding neighbors and stakeholders when we eventually, you know, clean up that soil. So I was just curious. Thank you. Yes, Chair Sol, should I respond? Yeah, please I go respond? ahead. Go ahead, Gail. So uh, Rochelle Wheeler was leading the, uh, this project. During the time when we did the soil analysis, the phase one and phase two environmental analysis, and 
So we do know where we, we need to clean up and we have a rough estimate and we do need to go back to the state and get a permit for that. And so they'll have detailed requirements on how to proceed with that cleanup. And note that in the staff report, I mentioned that we are working with the Recreation and Parks Director, Amy Wooldridge, on she's going to, in parallel, be programming the open space part. And Mike, I don't know if you could bring that up. And um, and the reason why I bring that up is that we want to clean the soil to a point where then she could come in and program the park space. And so, um, and so we don't want to just have it fenced off and then say, hey, program the park, good luck. You have to continue cleaning the soil, for example. So we just want to make clear that um, we're, it's, it's probably not going to be a cap it's, it's probably going to be a um, get get it out of there, and and also with with sea level rise in our future, we're uh, we're we're thinking that maybe capping is not maybe the best practice so much anymore, and removing it is uh, because of our high groundwater table is probably the best approach. Did that answer the question, Commissioner Johnson? Yeah, I think you did. I was just just curious. Thank you, Gail. Yeah. All right, <laughs> just trying to get to my mute button. Thank you, Gail. All right, Vice Chair you, and now you please. Great, thanks. Um, thanks to staff and to um, Kittleson, Mike, for um, the great presentation and a lot of information <clears throat> and a lot of um, cool design features and treatments um, being put in here. I'm really excited to see some of this. I did have questions. Um, Couple of questions, and I think you know, the concept is, you know, is only so, so uh, I guess detailed, and so some of this I'm just um, wanting to get clarifications on. Um, between Tilden Way and Broadway, I know at that intersection there's restricted right turn lanes. You're removing a, a, a slip lane, um, and I just wanted to kind of hear a little bit more. Um, about that sort of the, that that design decision why is that happening there I know the um, the angle of the turn it's been difficult uh, I think for trucks and um, just wanting to kind of hear more about the the design the design design decision around that and then how if people want to get over um, uh, onto to, to Broadway from Tilden um, like what is that what is the alternative route, I guess, for that. I think that's one question. My second question is Pearl Street. So you're restricting the left turn lane. And so people can only go right onto Fernside. Um, currently now, you know, you can cross over to cross over Pearl and get onto Tilden Way. It's that funky intersection. I did it this morning. I do it most mornings. I hate it. I, I'm like, so very scared, I'm always scared trying to cross over into that uh, intersection. So I'm glad that there's treatment into making it safer. But also I know people, drivers are goofy uh, and they're gonna try and make that turn there. And so I'm just wondering what's in the median <laughs> to prevent that? Because I know people are just wanting to 
just, you know, by just, if they can cut out a minute uh, on their commute, people will do whatever it takes to do it. And so I am, am sensitive to that uh, and knowing that people will try and make that left turn um, at that intersection. So I just had those two questions about the, um, about the concept design. Sure, and I'll bring it back up. I apologize for keep turning it off and then back on. So, okay, so the, the first question was about these, these sharp right turns. And I just wanted to, I went back and pulled the numbers. I think we have between four and eight people doing each one of these right turns today uh, in, in the peak hour. So like in the busiest hour, there's like between four and eight people a day that are making these sharp right turns. So it's not a particularly high, high volume movement. Um, one thing that you mentioned here, and I brought this slide up to show that if I'm walking and I want to cross here, I have this little island to stand on here. So this is a pretty exposed movement for a person walking. Uh, and so we thought, well, what if we could fill this in, provide a little bit more space and a better crossing, shorten the crossing. In terms of restricting the right turns, like just simply not allowing people to do it, that's where we started with this idea. Um, and the idea being, okay, if I'm coming, let's call it left, I guess it's Southwest. If I'm coming left on Tilden and I wanna turn right, I've actually got this option now, right? So that actually renders this pretty much completely redundant with the extension option or actually, you know, further up, you, you have options at the roundabout. So this right turn really isn't necessary from a network standpoint. The same is true of this right turn, um, just one block further south here, and I apologize, it's off screen, um, that if I'm coming to the right on Tilden here, I, I can make that right turn and get where I need to over here. So it's, you know, from just a pure network standpoint, it doesn't feel particularly punitive to say you can't turn right here. I do recognize that there are enforceability issues with that. Like, how do you actually enforce that? And I know that one of the commissioners had a comment about people making right turns earlier. So from a practical standpoint, we know passenger car vehicles at least do make this today. And if someone did it, even though, even if they weren't allowed to, it's, they could probably still physically do it. Um, but from a network standpoint, those moves are pretty redundant. Um, so that, I hope that provides a little bit of information on those right turns. Um, Mike, could I just interject? We did have someone um, who, Mr. Alex Elbrin, who wrote in as one of the correspondences uh, and Vice Chair Ewan, maybe you saw that. And his concern is that he actually lives on the west side of Broadway, south of Tilden Way. And so, you know, it is redundant, like Mike said, except for maybe four houses or maybe it's up to 10. And so he happens to live in, in those. And Mike, do you mind showing where where I'm talking about just those, yeah, in that area. So, and south of there, so those those bank of houses, it's still convenient for them to wanna to make that right turn and then right turn into their driveway. And so we are looking at potentially removing that uh, right turn restriction because of the request that we just received and, and we'll, we can continue to analyze that. Can you talk about how it's restricted before we move on to the other half of Vice Chair Ewan's comment on Pearl? Uh, and maybe it relates to your question on Pearl as well, Vice Chair. But 
the is it a sign restriction that would be a moving violation that would pretty much be it yeah i mean there okay. would be yeah okay thank you um and then we had the other the other part as far as pearl and i think um i don't want to speak for vice chair but i was wondering similar things so i'll let you speak first yeah mike yeah exactly so really just the the simple answer here is we're showing a write out and this is a constructed splitter island median so if i wanted to do this i would have to drive up and over a curb uh, which is hopefully enough of a deterrent to people who want to save save a minute here so you're lining them up here and i really can physically only go right here and and chair vice chair you and that that will be uh, landscaping and 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 it's okay to put like even trees right there correct the line of sight or is that is that not appropriate right there yeah we would need to do um we would need to think about like all the site distance triangles that are necessary but yeah that would be landscaped okay that's good i i didn't know if that was just paint on the pavement or if there was going to be construction constructed median or some sort of like uh raised treatment right there so um just curious I, yeah and i will say because i think this is not going up twice i didn't explain but if if folks have the packet the legend here essentially like wherever you see the dark green is going to really be like a constructed median so these dark green areas are going to be a curb median with landscaping i just didn't explain that earlier i apologize vice chair did that complete your answers yes thank you okay thank you commissioner suthanthera Uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you for the presentation. I can see a lot of work has gone in and uh, there was uh, quite a bit of community involvement, uh, you know, that in the COVID times you were able to do that. So, uh, you know, the community outreach seemed really uh, be effective. They were effective. So I um, want to thank the staff and the consultant team that worked on this. I have some... Um, questions to better understand and i'm coming there coming into this uh, completely with uh, you know fresh without any background or uh, because you know probably i'm relatively new here um, on the commission but this location used to be my um, commute route uh, for 15 years. So I know this really well. Um, I used to take BART and then drive on Fruitville Bridge or take BART, um, you know, Park Street Bridge and drive on Clement and exactly the same route, um, you know, that's here in the focus. Um, and uh, I'm a little surprised to hear that uh, the queue on the Fruitville Bridge is short uh, because I used to I have a hard time getting on to um, Fernside, um, you know, the 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 left lane um, to get on to Fernside when I come from, uh, you know, come on the Fruitvale on you. And uh, one question I specifically have is, um, but anyway, no, I'm, I know I'm kind of um, going all over, but this location needs a thoughtful design for sure it's it's messy and i'm glad to see a thought you know a lot of thoughts gotten went in to improve the bike and ped because uh, 
safe bike and pet connection to the Fruitvale Bot Station is um, really, uh, you know, Im you know, important. And on the bridge or getting to the bridge, it's it's really difficult. Um, and I know a couple of people who um, takes or uh, who bike to um, Fruitvale Bot uh, from the Fernside neighborhood. And uh, yeah, it's so. In, it's it's really nice to see that um, in, you know thought or the designs here. Um, my question is uh, in terms of uh, you know how we went or or uh, proceeded in uh, making some decisions. One is that Clement Avenue extension. So what is the purpose of that? Um, uh, Chair Souls, I'm not sure whether it's uh, like uh, considered to be a clarifying question because this may be a little bit maybe a little over clarifying or um so I, I just want to know whether I can ask these questions yeah you're talking about the extension to Clement Avenue and the other what that um I, I think it may be helpful for staff to talk about the the continuity that that may be providing in some of the future projects as well do you want to say something about that Gail yeah Mike do you mind bringing up that one truck route slide that shows the blue line and basically what happens is say if you're driving a truck from Silicon Valley and you, and you get off at um, at High Street you take Alameda Avenue then you go over the Miller Sweeney Bridge you want to get to Clement well you actually can't do that if you're a, a big truck because if you see the bottom it's too sharp of a right turn to get to Broadway and then a left turn to Clement. So what happens is we've been hearing this from people who live on Lincoln Avenue because we have another quarter improvement project there is that the truck drivers just keep on driving up Tilden Way and then Lincoln, even though Lincoln is not a truck route or like Mike has been showing the Blanding Avenue or they take Park Blanding Avenue and Park and as we just saw earlier this month that we that intersection um, was actually shut down for a couple hours because of a crash. That's our, our tier one high injury corridor. So we're trying to get trucks off of Park Street, off of Lincoln, where it's not even a truck route, and get it on directly onto Clement Avenue. And and that's why we, we want to do the just the westbound extension, whereas it the truck route works in the other direction. Okay. Uh, it's just that, you know, punching um, or uh, having another entry or exit point in such close proximity on a major arterial, I don't know how safe it is. So, uh, so that's that's my thought over there. And then um, now that you mentioned that, you know, the trucks are going on a wrong route, which is not a truck route, ha has there been any effort to engage with the trucking community? Are the business, um, I mean, yeah, I'll leave it there. We have not. And I, I was trying to figure out how to even engage with them because it's it's such an immense and evolving group that um, to try to educate where the truck route is and, and when it's not even working for them, um, it, it we, I just didn't get very far with that one. Okay, I mean, I know it's a challenge uh, finding a, a, you know, a contact, uh, but, you know, like ACTC may have some, the goods movement mm -hmm. related one, and then the business delivery where uh, they are coming in, you know, 
like the safe way right. you know, they're going to maybe uh, the end point maybe also a uh, good area to engage with but you know because we are making this huge um, permanent change with the thought that it will improve the truck um, travel or trips in that particular direction um, it's worth um, you know that we had explored that that first. I, that's a great idea and we did reach out to the park street business association and so they are definitely in support of this because and they did describe the truck movements on park street and and their uh, needs and they did feel like this would be a better fit for park street and then mike i don't know if you want to talk about the safety of having the west bound the, and and that's uh yeah because we're releasing this as like the safest option if we're going to extend it rather than also extending it eastbound. Yeah, I can just briefly, it's it's a good point about which one promotes safety, like to have this extension or not. And a couple, a couple things. So earlier this year, when we had a, a more preliminary concept, one of the big questions was, is this extension two way or is it one way or is it not at all? And what we're showing here is a right in only. So that really removes this left turn, the potential for any sort of left turn conflict where people are trying to judge a gap and yield. Um, and then also like, because there's no one coming back out to Tilden, there's no need for a signal or anything like that. Um, and ultimately if I'm coming from the bridge and I wanna get westbound on Clement, I'm either gonna come through here, turn right and left and right, or now I can do this. So those people making those movements will do it one way or the other. Um, in this case, they basically travel through and take a right. In this case, they take a right, left, right. Um, it's a little bit of a wash in terms of do you, con do you concentrate conflict points or do you have them at other places? Here, if we raise the crossing and set it back, I can make a right turn um, and we can control that speed with the raised crossing. The other thing I'll just say that we've kind of talked about is, um, if I'm on the cross Alameda trail, I'm actually never, and someone driving in here actually never crosses that cross Alameda trail and they travel parallel to it, as opposed to say crossing it here, coming back and then crossing it here. So these are, these are really marginal. Like when we got to the point where we said extension, no extension, there, one wasn't clearly safer than another, but there are a few conflict points uh, that we can look to to say, well, this has some benefits. I, I hope that just provides a little bit of subtlety around the safety. I guess so. I think uh, if you have looked at it that way. But again, you know, in practical sense, if you have three um, close by um, access points, that, you know, safety comes into a question um, in general. So that's why I asked you. Uh, definitely, in, in terms of uh, providing the trail connection, and I can see uh, the bike and ped activity. I mean, there is some safe movement uh, for bike ped. Um, okay, in terms of queuing, I mean, you, with that, um, uh, you know, extension, you have a truck, and again, it's one one lane, and it's coming off of roundabout, which already slows the speed. Um, and, uh, and, and the truck is turning and you also have a transit bar. I mean, there is a bus line, right? One or two lines and coming from uh, Fruitvale. And so the, it is going to, you know, queue them at the delay, the buses. 
and then um, you know traffic during uh, regular traffic during commute time. So that um, I don't know how you thought about that. And um, having a direct access or convenient access is going to increase the truck traffic. Um, so probably the inconvenient um, travel that they've been making through uh, Lincoln and um, you know other areas may start going through that. So the, you know it is going to increase, and you will see a more slower movement of other trips. Um, so just wanted to make sure that you all thought through that. So that's on Clement. And in terms of roundabout, the basic question I have is, uh, uh, has that been in, you know, have you used the simulation model to see how the roundabout functions and how the queuing um, works? And then uh, the, the reason I'm asking is this is at the gateway, right? And this is a major arterial. And um, I have traveled this numerous times, and um, especially during peak hour. And I, I can't imagine a roundabout, um, you know, handling the capacity, handling the traffic. But you, you say that the numbers are low, but I've experienced it to be different. Um, so I don't know what to say, um, you know, other than raising this question. So just yeah, the capacity get, of the roundabout. I, I think for um, Commissioner Sutter, if you don't mind, that if we have, so if there's any other clarifying things specific on the project elements, I hear what you're saying. And I think those can be discussed further if you have concerns okay. about that. And we can let um, staff as well as the consultant address some of those along with other public comments that may come along with it. Um, so do you have any other clarifying ones just so as far as yeah. any other project elements? Okay, no, I, 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 I hear Thank I hear your concerns. I appreciate that. I know it can be confusing. Um, I just had one real quick before we go to public comment because it came up in one of the, um, in a comment I think that Mike made earlier, but I didn't overlay this with our smart city stuff, Gail. And I was curious, is are there comms or anything else going in here as far as part of the construction project? Are we doing any electrical or comms given that it's not intended to be signalized initially? You mean for the municipal fiber? lines and, and all. Yeah. I don't think Any this like is... drop boxes or anything else. Not and it's not a major area. Okay. For the municipal fiber ring, no. Okay. Thank you. Commissioner Johnson, did you have another clarification before I move to public comment? Yeah, real quick about the truck routes. I just wanted to mention that I uh on a previous project that I worked on, we did a lot of outreach to the truck companies because you got trucks coming from the port. It was a good idea to reach out to the business community because I'm pretty sure a lot of people realize that sometimes these trucks are coming from out of state and they don't really know the local traffic flows and different things. And so it, it was difficult to sort of, you know, do the outreach of the truck companies, but it, it can be done. It's just it's just you, it's, there's a lot of layers and you kind of go to have to go down a rabbit hole. So um, I just wanted to say it can be done because we did it. But it is it it's 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 a lot of work to sort of get in contact. You know where where are these trucks coming from? The companies. A lot of these trucks truckers are sort of um, independent contractors in terms of owning their own trucks. So um, I just just wanted to give that give Gail that piece of um, that that piece of information. That's all. Thank you. Thank thank you, Commissioner Johnson. Okay, let's open it up to public comment, please. I see a few hands raised. And if we could welcome in our first speaker. First speaker will be John Spengler. Good evening. 
Good evening. Um, I'm John Spangler. I am wearing a couple of hats here for public comment. First, as an Alameda resident uh, and one of the people who started working early on on the Cross Alameda Trail uh, in 1999, I believe it was. It's been almost 25 years since uh, we set our eyes on this intersection and this neighborhood as one of the major bottlenecks in for for anybody on a bike or walking getting to fruitvale bart and it's nice to see this uh coming through um and i participated in a couple of the workshops in person to uh to to provide input second i am the chair of the bart bike advisory task force and our job since 1995 has been to advise the BART board on bicycle-related issues, especially bike access to BART. And I have taken, I've accessed the Fruitvale BART station many times by bike and using the 51A bus and car. Uh, so this, this route is very familiar to me and very important to BART uh, in that context. On at our December 5 BART Bike Advisory Task Force meeting, Gail and the consultants presented this project to us. The consensus was it was a terrific project. We had a lot of comments about signage regarding the Commissioner Whitesey's points about being confused about how to get across the bridge and routing and so on. Wayfinding is a very important issue here, and I'm sure that the final design will encompass that very well. Um, but uh, we had a, a, a very enthusiastic response to the project at the BART Bike Advisory Task Force. Going back to personal comments, last night coming home from San Leandro at about 11 o'clock, I was right behind an 18-wheeler trying to make the right-hand turn from Tilden onto Blanding. And it was almost comical. Uh, that is a very tight radius. And I saw for myself uh, the conflict that the driver had, A, making the turn because of the radius, B, the dealing with all the cross traffic when as the lights are changing, and C, as a following car coming up against this and the cars adjacent to me, uh, having an 18-wheeler trying to make that turn in front of them and the 18-wheeler being stopped. Uh, so I'm looking forward to this. I Thank I you. Appreciate I'm sorry, I'm going to try and keep time tonight because we have people who have been waiting. So I appreciate your comments and I'm sorry to cut you off. Each speaker will have th three minutes. I'm going to try and stick to that. Commissioner Johnson, would you mind um, unraising your hand? <laughs> I need all the help I can get. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, uh, Next speaker, Robert Rayburn, director, uh, Robert Rayburn, I believe is next, yes. Good evening, Chair Souls and commissioners. It's truly a pleasure to address you on this important matter tonight. I want to offer my strong support for the staff recommendation. The BART station that I represent sits in District 4. Uh, Throughout the pandemic, I wanna share a few facts about 
Fruitvale BART station. Throughout the pandemic, this was the busiest station of the 36 East Bay stations. I think it's important to recognize that the, the essential workers that went that go through those fare gates every day uh, made it a stable economy while we saw economies in the downtowns crater. Um, and it is coming back. The other thing about the pandemic is that it invigorated bicycling and I hope we can ride that wave. Before the pandemic, our survey showed about 9,000 passengers a day going through our fare gates. 20% of those passengers came from Alameda and about 11% rode bikes, another 34% walked. So that's 45% that are greenhouse gas free travel modes. Another thing about this station is that right now, most of the bicyclists that enter the station board uh, the car with their bikes. However, we also have an attended bike station as well as secure bike parking and the bike link lockers. So we're well, well placed to handle increasing numbers of Alamedans who want to do the right thing for the climate. But this project, first and foremost, has been about improving safety. One of the collisions was a fatal collision uh, on the curve coming from the bridge onto Alameda Island. And you know we need to remove these kind of impediments and this project will do that. So you're doing the right thing for the climate, doing the right thing for safety. I urge your support for this project. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker, Karen Miller. Good evening, Karen. Hi, <laughs> good evening. Um, I just wanted to make a comment about one thing that Mike said about when you come off the Fruitvale Bridge going toward Oakland that it's only one lane. It is only one lane at Fruitvale, but you can make a right onto Alameda Avenue. So essentially you can have two lanes exiting the bridge. Um, the configuration of Tilden, in my, in my opinion, is a terrible idea. With the current plans to reduce lanes on Central, the only remaining four-lane street in Alameda that runs east to west is Lincoln, except near the library, which was said to be a temporary at the time. Reducing the lanes to the entrance and from the exit of the bridge will create a bottleneck. When the bridge opens after being closed, the traffic already backs up several blocks. Alameda has two major potential natural disasters, an earthquake and a tsunami that could require that we evacuate the island. In a major earthquake, we have been told that the only bridge that might still be functional is the Miller-Sweeney Bridge. Constricting the access to one lane getting on and off the bridge is dangerous as it could prevent a safe evacuation. It could also prevent disaster relief agencies from entering. Alameda has hundreds if not thousands of homes still with brick foundations. The strapping of water heaters and the installation of gas shutoff valves is only required or enforced when a house is sold. Many of these homes have not been retrofitted and will slide off their foundations as happened in the marina in San Francisco in 1989 and will catch on fire. With our homes built so close together, these fires could spread if the correct wind conditions occurred as happened in the Oakland Hills. 
Paradise narrowed its main road by two lanes despite warnings of gridlock if an evacuation was required. According to the California Department of Transportation, they received state funding to put the streets on road diets. The decision was made for one of the same reasons that we're doing it, to make it safer for pedestrians as people were being killed just walking across the street. Besides the fire risk, according to the recently updated East Bay Mud Transmission Pipeline Vulnerability Study, the predictive model estimates approximately 5,500 pipeline breaks and leaks, mostly on brittle cast iron and cement pipes located in geohazard areas such as fault, liquefaction, which we hear we have in Alameda, and landslide zones. The model also predicted that the average East Bay resident would be without water service for six weeks. East Bay Med is working on replacing the Alameda transmission lines, and they are working on the one by the SRA, but we have three coming in here. Um, they estimate that the work won't be done for 10 years. Also, according to the same study, the sewer system may be damaged and not functional as well. We'll be able to stay in our homes with no water and no functioning sewer. I cannot stress enough how dangerous this plan is if it's implemented <clears throat> on Lincoln as it is the only four lane road left in Alameda and should be kept as an evacuation route. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, James Johnston. Hello. Hi. Uh, hi, my name is James Johnston, and I'd like to ask the commission here to move forward with this project. I regularly drive, bike, and take the bus on Tilden Way. In 2018, I was riding my bike on Tilden Way from Broadway to go to Fruitvale BART Station for work, and I was taking the lane with my bike, and a Safeway delivery van came up behind me and aggressively honked their horn at me for about 30 seconds or something like that and then passed me so close with a punishment pass, they knocked me off my bike. The Alameda police responded and suggested I was in the wrong to be riding my bike here at all, and that I should have been on the narrow sidewalk that's clearly designed only for pedestrians. Fortunately, I had only some light bruising, but it could have been worse. I've subsequently seen a white ghost bike on Tilden Way, meaning somebody's actually died there. The proposed concept here includes many excellent features, like extending the most excellent cross Alameda trail, which I love to ride with regularity. If proper protected bike facilities separated from traffic like that had been in place, not just sidewalks designed only for pedestrians, my accident would probably not have happened and somebody else might not have died. Uh, this design here also features roundabouts, which as a car driver, I also find works really great in other places I've lived and it saves a ton of time for drivers compared to a traffic light. Uh, I've seen the difference before when an intersection went from traffic light to, uh, to a roundabout. So of course, roundabouts only work for everyone if there's proper bike and pedestrian facilities as well. And this design appears to have it by providing separate crossing locations for those not in cars. I do know that roundabouts, uh, to be honest, uh, can sometimes be fun to drive fast on uh, so I'd encourage you to be sure that this design uh, naturally slows cars down by providing things like chicane curves at the entrances to the roundabouts, uh, raised crosswalks like we've been talking about, where the road rises to the sidewalk and bicycle path elevation, and also having good sensors for these crosswalks that ideally detect bikes so that bikes don't need to push two or three or four or five different big buttons repeatedly while working around this roundabout in this area. Finally, I'd like to make sure there's good signs for the bikes through this project, showing where to go for common directions to help navigate to common destinations, like how to get to the bridge. 
that can be confusing to navigate otherwise. And I've seen it be an issue elsewhere in Alameda. So uh, more signs is relatively inexpensive, I think, and, and worth doing. Uh, oh, and my evacuation plan, if there's a disaster, it may very well be on a bike. I figure I'll have better odds there than uh, when, you know, maybe potentially roads could be blocked and the car can't get through. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you for your time and thank you for everyone's hard work on this project. Thank you. Next speaker, we have Edward Summerar. I'm not saying that right and I apologize, but please feel free to connect and correct my pronunciation. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, actually, you, you uh, pronounced it right. Most people don't get it. Uh, <laughs> hi, Gail. <laughs> I know Gail. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, just two things on, on Mike's, uh, you know, uh, presentation. He, he mentioned that there's a abundant parking on for sales. That's correct. There is now, but there is a, a recorded the aerial photographs of one large parcel, that vacant one, but the property owner has a recorded final map and it's actually 11 parcels. And if that ever gets, when that gets built, you know, you're gonna have driveways. So for temporary now, there are abundant parking. Uh, but I just wanted to bring that. And then uh, the previous speaker said there were raised sidewalks uh, at all the crosswalks, but I think it, it's only at Clement, right? Is that correct? You know, raised cross sidewalks. I can have that question answered by staff after the public comment period yeah. is over. That's fine. I just I don't need the answer. So, but I just want to know. You know, I just I think um, it's just at that one location. Otherwise, because they, they act like a speed bump. So anyhow, all right, that's all I want to say. Thanks. Thank you. Next speaker, we have Jim Stralo. Good evening. When the Miller-Sweeney Bridge raises and closes, I foresee bumper to bumper in all directions within the circle. How do police, fire, and ambulances get through bumper to bumper single lane roundabout traffic? i.e. get into Oakland. Uh, your emergency slide assumed a clear traffic signal. Not going to happen in real life. I was in Spain a few months ago. Most of the in-city roundabouts had traffic signals. Even the traffic signal in Oakland's Jingletown Shopping Center to the freeway has signals. I think you're completely underestimating a self-regulating roundabout without traffic signals to fairly manage all directions. Where is Gail Payne's promised video, not simulation, after the bridge reopens of a heavily or simulated, similarly trafficked traffic signal circle one eighth mile from train tracks or a bridge? I was promised URLs or to see a video like at tonight's meeting. I'm concerned that there are no cross hatches, do not block intersection markings or signs in your proposal for the traffic circle. People know how to not be in a signal controlled intersection, but vehicles are bound to get stuck in the middle of a traffic circle, thus blocking the way for emergency vehicles. I dislike the design of Pearl Street forcing a right turn onto Fernside that increases greenhouse gases for those who live on Pearl Street. 
thought you were trying to mitigate and reduce greenhouse gases. You are bound to have U-turns along Fernside at Versailles. Yeah? I fully support vehicle access from Tilden Way to westbound Clement Avenue. Well, how many collisions do you anticipate based upon driver unfamiliarity with traffic circles? How do you plan to help reduce such collision numbers? Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, we have Carmen Reed. Good evening. Good evening, Chair and Transportation Commission. Thanks for um, uh, for your presentation. It's uh, it's very interesting, and um, and thanks for all of your work on this. Um, I uh, am curious, actually. I was wondering if your board um, can address what metrics were used in determining what the current traffic flow patterns are. So I didn't see that in the in the documents, and I was wondering if that's something that you could discuss and address moving forward. Um, I was also, um, you know, looking at that map, and I don't quite understand how the eighteen wheelers are going to get around that roundabout. So I don't know if there's something that I'm missing or. Uh, you know, or, or if that's something that should also be further discussed, but uh, it does seem like um, like it could be quite uh, quite tight there uh, if they if they need to get into the west, you know, the west part of Alameda, right, or turn turn west. Um, and I'm also wondering, also, so while I'm in support of facilitating much better access to cycling or walking to BART, and I do think that that should be a priority. Um, I'm not sure in this plan how that will be achieved um, and whether or not there's been sufficient communication with Oakland um, because the current infrastructure, um, you know, I was just, uh, you know, at BART just yesterday, um, the, the current infrastructure in Oakland is absolutely terrible. So um, there's, it's just, there's potholes everywhere. Um, there's not enough lighting. It doesn't even seem safe. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, where is that communication with Oakland to, you know, truly connect, um, you know, a, um, you know, a better pathway from BART to Alameda. And, um, because of that, I, you know, I don't really see that this particular plan is really quite fleshed out yet. And my final comment, I'm not sure about this, but I, I just popped on to the, um, uh, to the Alameda Municipal Power meeting about an hour, about uh, like a couple hours ago, and they were mentioning undergrounding. Um, and they had a couple maps, and they they mentioned undergrounding on Broadway. So I don't know if this will be affected or not, but was wondering if uh, if you've looked into that. And that's it. And you know, thanks again for um, for all you do for your volunteerism. You know, to be on this on this commission and um, for taking all of our comments into consideration. Thank you. Thank you, Carmen. Next speaker, we have Cindy Johnson. Hi, good evening, Chair Souls and Transportation Commissioners. I'm speaking on behalf of Bikewalk Alameda and we already submitted, submitted a letter with specific comments that we appreciate you discussing here tonight. But we just quickly wanted to reiterate our overall support for this project. The current situation is really bad for bicyclists and pedestrians, and these safety counting countermeasures and upgrades will transform the experience for everyone. 
I also quickly wanted to say to the last speaker, um, her comment about the Fruitvale side, they're starting a project right now that um, is gonna make that awesome for bicyclists and pedestrians and regrading the road. So the trip to Fruitvale is gonna be, Fruitvale BART is gonna be fantastic. So thank you to staff and consultants who worked on this. It's gonna be awesome. Thank you. Next speaker, Evan, um, Evan Schwimmer. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, uh, this is Evan Schwimmer. I live on Versailles between Fernside and Marina. Um, first off, thanks to the commission for your service and your attention to this matter. Uh, second, uh, thanks to Gail Payne and uh, the rest of the staff and Mike Alston for um, your community outreach, great job, um, your stewardship of, this, stewardship of this process and your communication style. Uh, I, I'm overall very supportive of this and I appreciate the timely um, approval and, and moving forward to this. I just have uh, two, two uh, questions that have been partially addressed by other um, uh, uh, attendees. First is regarding pedestrian safety at the crosswalks where motorists are um, are in a more continuous driving mode and when approaching the intersection can sometimes approach it very uh, fast, particularly when coming in from Oakland. Um, uh, regarding the, 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 the raised sidewalks or raised crosswalks rather, um, as mentioned by, um, by Ed earlier, what is the, the sort of the, the safety benefits of the raised uh, crosswalks versus having a visual signal to drivers uh, like we currently have uh, when crossing Fernside? Uh, or along Fernside, and is our visual signals also contemplated in the current design? Uh, my second question regard is regarding uh, how traffic flow um, uh, will move when the Tilden Bridge is up uh, to prevent cars from blocking the intersection. It sounds like, uh, based on what Mike uh, spoke to, that the plan is for drivers to self-moderate based on driver behaviors in the current signalized configuration. Um, however, the normal queue um, our cues will no longer be uh, present when there's a roundabout. Do you, does the, the staff have any case studies or, or evidence where this has occurred successfully? And if not, um, is a signal contemplated that would help with traffic control when the bridge is up just to allow uh, traffic to continue to flow from Fernside to Blanding? Uh, thank you again. Really appreciate everybody's time. And uh, uh, I'll yield my time. Thank you. Our next speaker, Clifford Mapes. Good evening. You are still on mute. You hear me now? Yes, sir. Please go ahead. Clifford Mapes here, owner of 2705, 2707, and 2709 Fernside. Uh, also the owner of the 11 lots that you don't depict correctly. Um, I have a city council approved subdivision map, track 8213, and there's three houses on Fernside. And I don't see, the map just shows one big lot and not, uh, I have 11 tax bills, so I, do, I have 11 lots there. My main concern is I think you're vastly underestimating the traffic that goes to the bridge. I'm, I spent a lot of time on my lot there. That bridge comes up and down four, five, four or five times a day. If you do your homework, it's 1,600 times a year, they say on the website. 
It takes 66 seconds to come up, and I imagine 66 seconds to come down. It takes time to put the railing across to block the traffic, and then the, the bus or the train or the boat has to come through, and that's going to take another couple minutes. So I think on average, we're going to have 10 minutes, probably, give or take. But don't underestimate how many times that bridge goes up and down. My main concern is for my units there that I have rental, I have section eight, I have regular tenants there. The parking that you're gonna take away from me is not gonna allow my duplex uh, has three cars and you can't put three cars on a 10 foot driveway approach. People on the back, people on the front. That just doesn't work. 2709, also 10 foot garage approach, single car uh, driveway cars parked out front, you're going to eliminate that and you're going to eliminate the parking in front of my lots for future houses on Fernside. Um, I'm all for bike trails and safety and, and say, you know, making things better, but I don't see that happening there. I think the crosswalk also over there is going to be an issue too. Right now you can push the button and walk cross street there's cars that fly down that street. When they hit that roundabout, it's just going to give them a, they're going to think it's part of Teledega. They're going to hit that thing and maybe fishtail a little bit. There's a couple cars that go down there every day, and I can hear them. The Mustang and a Dodge Charger. They just wind down that street. So parking's my main concern. How are we going to address that? I don't want my spots taken away from me. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, we have Drew Dara Adam, uh, Abrams. Excuse me. Welcome. Hi, good evening. Uh, Drew Dara Abrams. I was able to spend some time with the staff report, but joined pretty late. So I'm not sure what was addressed in the presentation. So I'll just keep my comments short and positive. I'm very glad to see this main intersection um, revised with a modern roundabout and to also have some of the adjoining and connecting streets uh, get some more attention. Uh, I walk through this area or ride through this area on a bike on a daily basis and drive through it on a weekly basis. And so having more connectivity, I think will really help uh, all users of the area. Um, I, I do see some potential opportunities to improve the edges. So um, if there are ways to expand and consider the ways this connects to the Versailles Slow Street Neighborhood Greenway, ways to, it connects into the Bridgeport Shopping Center with that uh, big curb cut entrance. Um, and, uh, um, uh, excuse me, just so, uh, and again at the, the uh, Broadway uh, Tilden intersection that nice to see that the cheesy little um, uh, uh, cut through lane disappearing. But if the edges of the project could also get some slight improvements, I think that will even benefit benefit pedestrians, cyclists, and drivers even more. So uh, thanks for your time. Thank you. Um, Edward, I see you have your hand up, but we only take public comments, one per 
person. So I apologize. Um, I'm going to open the floor. I'm going to close public comment and open the floor to uh, the commissioners for discussion, but also um, if, if commissioners wouldn't mind holding um, discussion items, I wanted to first stop with uh, Gail and maybe Mike that if there were any public comments that would be aided by any kind of clarifications or correction of information, um, feel free. We can also incorporate those into some of the commissioner discussion. Was there any burning thing that you wanted to um, correct or clarify at this time? Just Ed Summerauer asked about the raised crosswalks and there's actually two located on the concept. And I don't know, Mike, if you could bring that up just to, I think that was his question, correct? Did I get that right? Okay. Yeah, it's and not like he thought there was one. So he was asking if there was, yeah. I don't think he was asking, he thought there was one. So if that needs to be corrected, then we can pull up the diagram. And I think the, um, yeah, the large one, great. That's the one at Blanding, Tilden. And then the other one is the Clement extension at Tilden. So that's the one that comes to mind. Um, the Fruitvale Alive project in Oakland is under construction. So yes, Fruitvale Avenue is a mess right now in Oakland, yet they are building protected bike lanes on the Oakland side to Fruitvale BART. So it really will be a, a, a BART freeway. And right now the, um, the pedestrian walkway is, it's not technically legal to ride a bike on those. I just, Ed Summerauer, um, he's a former public works staff engineer, and and I talked today, and he was saying that that was actually um, a, a restriction put in place by Oakland, but I think it was back in the 1980s. So there's there's this maybe potential to um, no longer to to look into maybe no longer having that restriction to to opening it up a little bit for how people can bike on on the bridge and not maybe just on the bike lanes. So that that's just something that came up today with Ed Summerauer. He That might be one reason why he was raising his hand. And then to Drew's comment, um, we would love to improve the edges. There's issues around the entire Clement Tilden project that beyond the scope of the project that we'd love to improve. It's beyond the scope of the project, unfortunately. We had the similar kinds of comments like, you know, continue it on Blanding, continue it up to Park Street, continue it, you know, so we just, we only have 6.2 million to do just this Tilden Way, Clement, and we're, we're we, Mike and Kilson did a great cost estimate, and and that's, and we look like we, we can do it, it's just we we cannot do cope, the scope creep, and, and Kittleson folks have been great of reminding me about that is like, we, we got to stick to the project. So that's a little unfortunate, but true. Is there anything else, Mike, that, or Hermanus? I just wanted to, I think there were a few, a couple of just quick clarifications. Um, the question was asked about how we evaluated the traffic. So again, we used existing counts at all of the intersections of the study area. Um, both existing counts in the peak hours, the morning and the evening, and then we did some adjustments to model future growth and like a return to pre-COVID, um, and that was a static traffic model that we built to analyze that. So it's just in terms of seconds of delay getting through various movements. Um, then there was also a question about the benefits of raised crosswalks versus like a push button, uh, a push button warning sign. 
And so both are treatments that are used at various locations. Um, in general, the guidance for the push button treatment is generally on multi-lane roundabout entries or exits. It doesn't mean it couldn't be used at a single lane, but that's the general guidance. Um, and then, you know, the question about what the benefit of a raised crossing is, it's really a roundabout is all about horizontal deflection. So providing or, or forcing people to do some sort of horizontal deflection and slow Another opportunity is vertical deflection. So it's really about controlling speeds. And there's a big body of research that shows, apart from the connection between speeds and severities, also speeds and yielding. So as drivers are slower, they're way more likely to yield. So that's the, the thinking behind the raised crosswalk. And let me, if you'll just permit me one second. Oh, there was also a question about how the 18-wheelers get around the roundabout. Um, I will just show, because I didn't explain it, and then this is my last my last thing, I'll show the concept once more here to show this This brick is intended to be a truck apron. So as an 18-wheeler would drive through this, their rear wheels on their trailer could track onto the truck apron. So we have some fairly conservative modeling software that shows trucks making those movements with the use of that. So we're confident that the truck could use this design to make those turns. So I just wanted, that's something I didn't mention in the presentation. So that's what that brick is. And then inside of that would be landscape. No one would, would need to or want to, or be able to drive over that. But that, that brick would allow trucks to track over it, their rear wheels. And that's all the clarifying ahead. And I just had one additional one to Mr. Strelo about the cartoon kind of um, simulation. We found a better way of, of having people better understand how roundabouts operate. And we put that in the staff report and, and that's the MTC roundabout webpage. And they, they've compiled drone videos of roundabouts so people can see actual roundabouts in motion and better understand how roundabouts operate. And we felt like that was a better way of, of educating people. And, and so that we do continue that forward in this, in the staff reports. Thank you. Great. Thank you. And just so I just double check, um, the percent design that we're looking at, this is really the concept project. So this defines what will be designed. And so um, at this point of feedback, just for commissioners to keep in mind that the project boundaries were something that was noted that we have really limited <laughs> access. So I'm just asking for the sake of time and everything else to consider where we are in this project, where we have been the amount of public comment that's gone into it and where we are at this phase um, and what you want to add to it as far as either uh, making a motion to recommend it to city council for approval um, by offering our endorsement. Um, and we can do so with uh, with comments, concerns, friendly amendments as we direct staff. So I'll try and capture those some of, during some of the discussion. Lisa, if you could help me do that so we can have a clean motion coming out of this. So with that, I'd like to open it up and uh, just to facilitate um, my, <laughs> my job, to because we may have that graphic up a few times so instead of raising your hand on your video if you could use the hand raise tool so i can use the zoom interface to appropriately call on commissioners i would appreciate it commissioner noctegal thank you chair Sols. um and I'm going to apologize if anything I ask or say is a repeat because I had some technical difficulties and had to cut out for a bit. So apologies now. 
Um, I want to say that I appreciate all the work that staff has done and the presentation, and I see a whole lot of benefits to this proposed project. Uh, I think everyone knows I'm a strong proponent of completing the Cross Alameda Trail. Yay, that's going to be awesome. And I'm a strong proponent of safety improvements and roundabouts. I generally like roundabouts. Uh, this location brings up some concerns for me, uh, especially around safe pedestrian crossing, uh, which you've all heard me say is a big concern for me. Pedestrians getting across busy streets safely. And this, I, I'm concerned. I know there's mention of prioritizing safety. I know there's been talk about uh, implementing raised crosswalks. I see there are splitter islands. I, so that creates shorter crossings. However, I, you know, We've talked about it a lot this evening. There's a lot of vehicular traffic in this area coming from a lot of different directions. And I'm concerned that pedestrians are gonna get short shrift here, may not have the access to safe crossings. And I'd like to ensure that additional measures get considered. I know that might add some scope creep. I know that where we are in the process. However, and I know that it's not a multi-lane roundabout. I've heard all of that loud and clear, but I'm not feeling convinced that what's presented is truly gonna be safe for pedestrians to cross. And so are there other safety mitigations that can be implemented? Are there, you know, how can, what else has gone into this for ensuring safe pedestrian crossings. And so it's it's a bit of a question and a big comment. I can have I can have Mike uh, sorry, Churchill's uh, Mike respond. I just want to say that you know the pedestrian safety is not a scope creep. Um, so that that is a, a main goal of the project. And and we feel like we got it right. And it is allowed a little counterintuitive because roundabouts are simpler. And so, um, and so there's, and that's the beauty of them. There's not a lot of flashing and, and all that because we're trying to reduce confusion, make it simple. Um, so when I said scope creep, I'm saying beyond the geographic scope of this project, we are not okay. going beyond that. So I don't know, Got Mike, it. if Hermanas, if you have anything to add. And, and may I just please add that like, the simplicity of round, roundabouts I get in general, and I appreciate, we've had a lot of really great presentations on roundabouts. And so I'd like to reiterate that, that I, I feel that roundabouts are a real benefit in many places in this city. And this one, I'm a little nervous about the pedestrian crossings. So please, Mike, thank you. Sure. So I'll just offer up a couple things to put a finer point on. I totally appreciate the comment. Um, in general, when thinking about pedestrian safety at roundabouts or anywhere, I think the two things I would emphasize are, you know, com compared to what and then based on principles. So when we think about this location, the comment has come up a lot tonight about there's a lot of traffic. I mean, there is today. And so I think the intent is to improve it. Um, and this would do so based on a few principles, those being short crossings to limit exposure, um, providing clear sight lines. And then I think I've probably mentioned this a couple of times tonight, really controlling and managing speeds. 
speeds being critical for two things, one, yielding, and two, reaction time and severity related to potential conflicts. So I, again, totally appreciate the concern that, um, you know, these, these crosswalks aren't controlled by like a red light, um, even, even when that does happen at a signal, like if there's a right turn uh, on a green light or a red light, there still are inherent conflicts, even when you separate things in space or time. So it's all about shortening the crossings, providing clear sight lines for pedestrians to see approaching cars in one direction at a time, uh, and then really managing the speeds where possible. Again, recognizing that those speeds are through research correlated with severity, correlated with reaction time and correlated with um, driver yielding. And so I think th those are kind of the basic principles in terms of any any certainty I can provide about safety. That's kind of what we're leaning on, roundabouts or, or else or, or any other type of control. Okay. I, I, I mean, just I'm feeling like I'd like to see additional measures to ensure yielding to pedestrians. I, I'm not feeling that it's enough, and I'll I'll leave it at that at this point, and open it up to other commissioners to, to comment. Um, Vice Chair Ewan, please go ahead, and then I have one comment that is kind of related to to Commissioner Noctegals, but I want to give you an opportunity first, so I'll slot myself in after. For you, go ahead. Thanks, and I, I also wanted to um, piggyback off uh, off of Commissioner Noctegal because I I went to um, a meeting at the at the um, the free library. I forgot when it was sometime last year about this project in the early days, and um, there was a comment or question there about that very question of how do we make it safer for pedestrians to cross and I think part of this is you know roundabouts are new we don't have a roundabout a modern roundabout in this what in this quite this manner yet here in Alameda although we have several plans for them to be um, constructed in the near future and so I think people have a lot of curiosities and questions around it and I think there's still like a very steep learning curve I think one of the measures the mitigation measures folks talked about and have talked about are um, installing at pedestrian crossings all around the roundabout um, rapid flashing beacons and I don't know if that's a scope creep if that's something that's within this kind of uh, realm of possibilities here of making pedestrians that much more visible um, and just making it that much safer for pedestrians to cross. Um, and so I, I kind of want to lift that up as a potential mitigation measure. And I don't know if folks, uh, if, if Mike or other folks at Kittleson or staff have thought about that as a measure uh, and the potentiality of that. So that's one kind of question slash comment there um and that i did also want to kind of um, talk about the um the one-way punch through um on clement and i know that in this um iteration i guess if you want to call it um we didn't talk about the other alternative where it is most it is a green space um i think the city and staff and um, probably with Kittleson's advice is to kind of align with uh, the extension um, and, uh, and the, the um, one-way cutout. And so I, I get that. I guess 
my initial kind of reaction was um, not in favor of that and wanting more green space. Um, that's sort of my initial kind of gut reaction um, to want to improve access to green space, especially in this area that lacks so much green space. Um, I kind of wanted to hear more about that, um, since that is a distinct difference between the two alternatives that we're um, evaluating. Um, I, I kind of, I heard a little bit about it minimizes the crossings um, for traffic, especially truck traffic across the Alameda, the cross Alameda trail. And so I guess that that's, that's a safety improvement there. That seems, it, although it sounds like it's a marginal kind of safety benefit, I'm just wondering what other types of safety benefits there are with um, this particular um, cut through. Because as, as was mentioned, you know, really the, the benefit here is not necessarily to, um, well, it, the benefit is primarily to truck traffic and making sure that trucks can safely get onto Clement, which is a designated truck route. And I get that. Um, I just, I just feel like that alone doesn't feel like a weighty enough kind of argument to make to kind of like um, negate having more green space uh, in in favor of this punch through. I don't know. I, I don't know if that my question or comment is making sense, but I just want to hear more about the rationale of this concept over the other alternative. Um, yeah, so okay. I will stop there. Okay. Thank you. And I think. Gail, could you or Mike articulate? I, I I heard something different. I, I don't think the punch through is really just about prioritizing trucks. I mean, this is about a full flow of a full moving multimodal section. And so I'm wondering if, if, if Vice Chair, I think that's a, a very good perspective. If other people have, you know, if we focused on trucks to where we it's it's come across as prioritization, I didn't see it that way. So I will I will take correction on that too. But I saw it as more of a safety and flow improvement because the alternative isn't answering the call to those other objectives that were shown at the beginning of the presentation. So Gail, could you um, talk a little bit about that to make sure that there's clear understanding of why the punch through alternative in the context of the overall project is, a, is, a, is an important element over green space? Yes, and and I'll take a stab at it and then, and then have Mike or Hermanas talk about it, but we're basically looking at how to redistribute traffic in this area. And we heard from the folks in front of Knob Hill Shopping Center where there's a big bus stop. And then we also heard from folks who are concerned at Broadway Tilden. So we're trying to get the traffic away from those pedestrian hotspot areas. And so that that is one reason the truck to make the actual truck route work going westbound is is one reason i actually think it's an important reason uh and then that doing that actually makes it so these big 18 wheelers aren't crossing the cross alameda trail and whereas if we didn't have the extension the 18 wheelers would actually cross at blanding at tilden and then again, the Cross Alameda Trail to get on Clement at uh, Clement and Broadway. And so it's, it is counterintuitive, yet 
Um, and uh, yet we did we did weigh it, and 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 there was debate, and um, we do feel like this is the right approach. If you look at the concept, there's a lot of green space being created, so much so that the park rec and park director had to take it over because it's it's way beyond what I know how to deal with, and it's exciting. And this, you're right, this area does, of town does not have green space. And if you look at the concept, I don't know if Mike wants to bring it up, all the existing landscape is the open space that the rec and park director will do a whole separate outreach effort to program the park space. So that's this light green color. So there's still a lot of opportunity there maybe for an ex another expanded dog park, a second one, or where uh, Mike has, they've been talk requests about a community garden there. Um, there's been talk about by the Starbucks, Mike, if you could show that where some seating, um, I I'm talking about the Starbucks over, yeah, like maybe expanding the seating, bike racks, um, a pocket park, that type of thing. So there's a lot this is a big space and maybe it doesn't come through here. If you go out there, it's, there's, there's a lot of, of, of good open space potential and it will connect to the waterfront trail. Vice chair, did you have any follow-up on that one? No, thanks for that. And um, yes, thanks for that clarification, additional information. I did, I did want to just see if, what the thoughts were around the rapid flashing flashing beacons around the roundabout and the thought been given to that and yes yes and i i i would prefer to not i would prefer to defer to the engineering consultant experts and if the best practice for single lane roundabout is to um is to not do flashing beacon i i would prefer not to overbuild um because um that also creates confusion. We've I just took um, a project to the uh, Commission on Persons with Disabilities, and there are some medical conditions that don't do well with flashing um, those convulsive lights. And so there's there's some conflict about that. And um, you know if if um, you know we maybe it's a, a matter of we we consider these additional safety measures for pedestrians. Uh, however, um, we maybe in after a year's time to, to do some monitoring. And if are, there are some close calls or some issues, then we can add in the flashing beacons. I just, um, I, I don't wanna do the engineering because we're not the engineers. I don't know if Mike and Hermanus wanna answer. Thanks, Gail. I guess, yeah, I don't, I don't have that excuse. Um, so in general, I, again, completely appreciate the concern about, um, about safety, about pedestrian safety. And again, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'm sorry to say this, but I'll emphasize speed being the, the primary thing. Um, in terms of a single lane roundabout, I think the two tools that I would turn to first to promote pedestrian safety, driver yielding, would be to raise the crosswalk or to do uh, a push button warning so I just want to give a little bit of detail that the U.S. Access Board actually um, has recommendations related to uh, ADA uh, 
ADA compliance and at multi-lane roundabouts, that actually is a recommendation to do push button warnings, um, commonly called RFBs. Uh, and there's a major reason to do it there and that's related to accessibility. And when I say that, I mean helping people with vision disabilities cross, um, giving drivers some sort of control device to say, you, you know, stop, let the person cross. That's very closely related to safety. Like, so the ability to cross as a person with vision disabilities is clearly very closely related to the ability for anyone to cross. So there's no bright line where we say, oh, you know, once the crossing is 17 feet, we got to put a, a push button in. So I'm not saying we, we don't do it, um, but I might lean towards the a raised crossing like we've shown at, at some of the locations first as a self-enforcing mechanism for all drivers at all times of day. Lower speeds for everybody are better for drivers, better for people crossing, all sorts of things. Again, not to rule out the push button warnings. I don't want to sound like I'm against that as a measure, but I think the possibly raising it, you know, that's something that everyone experiences, push button or not. Um, and again, they're just both tools in the toolkit. So again, I, I hope that helps. And I, again, really appreciate the concern about pedestrian crossing. Thank you. Commissioner Whitey, we're, we're kind of at a few different things. So I'll come back to mine if you'd like to go ahead and speak. Yeah, yeah, I'll be quick because uh, Mike and Gail just took many, many of my comments. So, but I, so I'll be really quick. Um, so first, yeah, this has a ton of green space. I just wanted to emphasize exactly what they said. It connects to the dog park. It also connects to the estuary park that's hard to get to from there. So I, I think the concern that this is losing a, bit, a little bit of green space with a cut through is, is not super valid here. We're actually creating more, a lot more green space if you look at the overall park and accessible green space as opposed to what it is now. Um, I'm gonna back up what Mike said because I actually have a lot of experience with this. Uh, in Ohio, in Massachusetts, there are two lane and single lane roundabouts. And the concern for, and again, I'm, I think I have a reputation for being very pro-pedestrian here. Um, two lane roundabouts can be a little confusing and I can understand where extra mitigation measures are a good idea and lights potentially. Um, single lane cross walkthroughs, it, it's, it's really, they're really not that confusing. They're really straightforward. And so um, they're all over much of the country. And if you walk through them and you have experience with them, I think a lot of the commissioner's uh, concerns would be, would be, they wouldn't feel quite as uh, trepidatious about this because it's really, really pretty straightforward when you're actually in, especially single lane ones. Um, I also will finish up on a dumb question for Mike. So Mike, I want to go back to this whole two-way bike lane that suddenly becomes a one-way bike lane over the bridge and then dead one of them dead ends. And then we want those people to go the, across the street to the, to the mixed use path that's on the other side of the bridge. And I'm going to ask a dumb question if you can put the map up. So Mike and I debated this a long time. And, I hope you came our, out on my what I'm about to I ask. Think, because I think I think I did, and my personality came through. <laughs> our our personalities came through. Okay, so so let me so can we zoom in there just so I can? Oh man, I'm just getting old. I have to squint. Oh, I suck. Okay, um, yeah, right there. Okay, so I don't know. I kind of hate this personally because lanes to nowhere bring up bad Alaska public projects and things like that. So tell me, Mike, why? I can't put the two-way pathway on one side of the bridge and not have pedestrians in it. And on the other side, I can have my pathway for pedestrians. Just tell me why I can't do that. Because to me, 
that seems extremely straightforward and also doesn't make people, it doesn't make bikes have to know which way they're going. We're trying to keep as much continuity on two-way bike paths as possible. Gail, is that what you told him? Well, no, I had a different, Damn it. I, well, I it's close. because it's a space issue. That's, oh. that's why, but you can't Mike, put... why don't you, um, yeah, you're, you're better at responding, but um, I, I, go ahead, Mike. I, I just, could you, could you restate the question? Sure. Sorry. I got, I got excited about my comment. Okay. So we have this two-way pathway that's going towards the bridge. And then, so if people are coming off the bridge, they can do that. They can stay on this, this two-way pathway yep, right there. And then as we've talked about earlier, and I understand there's some space considerations here, but that kind of, it, it dead ends are really correctly, more correctly pushes you towards the Bay Trail. So tell me, and then, but then I look in here and there's mixed use pathways on both sides. And I, I just, I personally hate when we try to combine pedestrians and bikes when we don't have to. So explain to me <laughs> why I can't make the pathway for pedestrians who are slower and maybe need a little less space on the, I guess it would be the right side of the bridge from this perspective. And I just can't keep two bike lanes next to each other on, on the top upper side of the bridge. Tell me why I can't do that. Okay, so so you're asking about providing the ability for a person biking to just do this on the, this side of the bridge. Yeah, and I realize this is a space okay. limitation, but is it also that you want the ability of pedestrians to be on both sides? And if that is one of the reasons, why? So I think for... For my money, the, the primary reason that this design does not encourage people biking to continue along this path is because this on the bridge itself, which again, the city has no control over, it's pretty narrow with a railing. It, if one person is walking there today, you come up headed towards Alameda on a bike on that, on that path on the side of the roadway, it's pretty tight quarters and adding another direction of bike traffic. They actually really couldn't cross. But I want to, I want to, I want to get rid of those pedestrians. I don't want any pedestrians on that side. I want to, I want to just have that be the two way bike lane over there. Oh, Tell me I why see. I can't. You want to have, you want to have pedestrians. Yeah, just put on pedestrians side, on one so. side and, and bikes on the other side, and then you're keeping them separate. Why can't I do that? I guess my comment in the moment is coming to me about a different area is a question about enforceability um, that it's a nice idea, but a person who's walking, if they have to wait a minute to cross before they walk, you know, they're probably still going to be up there anyway. Um, and so I, I want to, we want to provide same direction travel for people on bikes and minimize that three people in different directions. And also just, so. I did, when I went to the BART, um, it was the, the task force, the bike task force, they reminded me that there's, there's, this is the Bay Trail too. And so there's Bay Trail on the Oakland side and there's Bay Trail on this side and, and people are going to be going back and forth and a, a little bit on their own, regardless of exactly how, so we just need to make it safe for them, regardless of what they do. So we, we can't control people. We, we can't <laughs> say exactly, you know, where, where they're going to sure. go on the, on the West side walking and biking or the, so we just we need to know that and just be very mindful of that like you may want you may be in the waterfront park at knob hill and be on a family ride and and somehow want to get over to the oakland bay trail side but you don't want to cross tilden like we know that that might happen so we have to factor that in and and mike is right it's very narrow so you might have to walk your bike on that little walkway yet 
as a family say, you're not going to want to go to the other side. Did, did I capture that right, Mike? I think that, so. Yeah. yeah. I guess the other thing I'll just want to say is, you know, all else equal, we want to provide for intuitive movement for people. So if I'm on a bike or if I'm walking, you know, if I'm walking, I want the intuitive movement, which would be, I continue to walk in either direction anywhere. If I'm on a bike, I travel in the direction with traffic, especially given on the other side of the bridge, the city of Oakland picks up sure. same direction bike lanes. So there's, there's a couple more reasons there. You, you guys know way more about this than I do. And, and I'm happy to utterly defer to your opinion. To me, it is less intuitive to have to go one side over the bridge. And then if you want to go the other way across, but then also have a two lane bike trail to get you to the base of that bridge, which I do not find intuitive at all, but that's fine. I can be wrong. Um, what I what, I had one other comment. Oh, sorry. Last one. This is more for the public and very slightly for my fellow commissioners, but more for the public. I am literally begging people, begging people to look at all the data on roundabouts and how safe they are and how easy they are. They are not a high learning curve. I, I swear to God, they're not going to hurt you. They're really easy and you're going to get it. And we really don't need to talk about it too much more because the data is overwhelming for how safe they are and how much they improve traffic outcomes. So thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Whitesey. Um, I'm going to provide some of my comments because they're, they've been touched on a little bit and um and then Commissioner Susan Thayer, if that's okay with you, can I, if I, I can go ahead and then I'll come back to you if that's all right. Um, so as far as roundabouts, and um, I think this project overall increases pedestrian safety, and that's why we're, that's one of the main reasons we're doing it. Um, and I hear the concerns, and I think that the, you know, I understand that there is a little bit of a barrier of trust and confidence in new engineering concepts that people may not be familiar with. I agree with Commissioner Whitesey that a lot of people have figured these out just fine. The roundabout that was introduced to 880 by Caltrans on the on-ramp heading into Oakland um, from 880, I, I haven't seen any kind of confusion by the, the very um, large groups that come through that roundabout. Everyone is very respectful of yielding and getting in there right. Um, I think there is you know, uh, a little bit of that, that trust and what we do if there are problems. And so one of the um, things I would like to introduce is a potential um, addition that I, I don't think is scope creep uh, because the design hasn't been done. And I think this would be a really smart thing for us to do as far as future proofing. It's the reason I asked about the smart city, Gail, is that you know if we're doing this level of disruption in an area in this level of construction i would really like the design concept to consider future proofing for conduit for comms and we've heard the terms push button control devices we can do this in the future if we end up doing that and that turns out to be an improvement i really don't want to be going and tearing up concrete again to put in something that's so simple and with a project with this budget it's an incremental cost to do right now to go put in some conduits some pull boxes and some other things, especially going to the middle of the intersection and not just having to work in the perimeter of the project. Um, I think that will offer up some other things too. you know we talked about um, emergency evacuation and I uh, have voiced concerns about that for Alameda for a long time because I don't think the barriers the city I think it is our um, our Oakland neighbors of whether or not. Oakland has really planned to receive some sort of evacuation from Alameda. And so that is really the true bottleneck 
getting off the island in a vehicle. I think in a really um, unfortunate and terrible disaster situation is going to be very difficult to do on a car through the bridges or the tunnels. Um, Contraflow though, if we were to have REOC work on something like that, it would be really awesome to already have infrastructure that we could tap to signalize some sort of evacuation strategies that would require um, or be aided by a DMS or some sort of some sort of signalization. So um, I think it's not really called out in here. So having that part and parcel be baked in to the design and the project concept would do us uh, a lot of favors of not rehashing the investment that we're making in doing it. And that goes same for the pedestrian. If we do find, like you said, Gail, if we evaluate, we find there are problems. We do want to try and work through the things that come with flashers, including light pollution of nearby residents and working with persons with disabilities. And we want to do that, then we're making ourselves, uh, we're giving ourselves one less barrier to actually being able to either pilot or introduce some sort of other technology that would help um, pedestrian safety. Um, those were my main ones around of, around where, where I would, I think it's a great project. I think it's an important project. I don't know how many people know how long you've been working on this, but I think it was around 2016, 2017. <laughs> this has been a slog of a project with a lot of public involvement. And that's just how projects are a lot of the time. And so I commend not just the work the staff's done recently, but the tenacity and to some extent, the uh, endurance that it takes to pull something like this forward, the allocation between bike ped, as well as green space. And as I mentioned, the traffic, the overall thought of traffic flow, um, it will be new to Alameda. It may not be perfect, but I think that this is a huge stride in what could improve this intersection. And I'm willing to make a motion to approve with my amendment. I know we have other commissioner comments um, that I'd like to hear. Um, I think that's all of mine except for, hold on one second, Commissioner Sivinthira. Oh, the conversation about the estuary bridges and the openings. <laughs> and I, I, I don't wanna make it part of this project, but the traffic backs up, no matter if there's a roundabout or a light. I understand that backs up in different times. I've been on my bike on Fernside and been witness to the people who get really frustrated at the Fruitvale Bridge being open, knowing there's probably a vessel going westbound and they're going to try and, I guess, try and beat it on <laughs> the next bridge. And it's very frustrating that, that it can happen that many times, especially during peak periods. And I would really love to work with Oakland and the bridge operators to understand how that negatively impacts not just our congestion, but our safety issues in those hours, especially when it happens during the um, hours where kids are going to school. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I know that there's a situation where they can do it during, I think it's, they can do it during peak times for a fee or with notice or something but otherwise they try and stay away from the peak hours of raising those bridges. But I see it happen a lot and I would love to learn more and figure out how <laughs> we could uh, maybe, I, I don't I don't know if there's a solution or else I'd be offering it, but not for this project, but I, I hear those concerns and I 
hear more and more frustration around this as we get into spring and people start moving their boats out of harbors. Um, so we can consider that maybe in a different conversation. So um, that concludes my comments and I'll wait for an emotion, uh, a motion to, to make a motion until I hear my other commissioners speak. So Commissioner Susan Thera, would you like to go ahead? Thank you for waiting. Sure, um, thank you, Chair Souls. You know, I grew up with um, moving around or driving around roundabouts, and uh, and they are they work really well, actually. So, and uh, and the plan here is, uh, I mean, I, there's a lot of safety elements for bike and ped. I have seen more on the vehicles around the roundabouts too. And uh, it it works really well. It's you know people figure out once you go in and then um, and negotiating um, works automatically. But the only point or caveat um, or I I want to raise here is, I mean this may be an ideal solution here, and you have done a lot of work, but make sure that you are not underestimating the traffic because you know. At the peak time, you don't want to want it to get chopped, and uh, especially with um, potentially increasing truck traffic, I just want to raise that point. Um, and uh, and I hear um, from people, you know, the evacuation plan and the evacuation route and things like that. So I don't know where that is. It's a separate topic, probably, and you know, one you can agendize it as what are the evacuation routes and. Uh, and what plan we you know we have as a city um and we can have a discussion on that so that you know it kind of comes as an overlay whenever a specific project along um especially around the gateway areas or major arterial comes up so that you know it doesn't have to be kind of an ad hoc um, discussion or interfering with any of the um our non-coordinated way right um when you know, a specific project is being discussed so um, I think um, it would be a good idea to have it separate, um, added as a separate item for future discussion. And I like uh, what uh, Chair uh, Souls mentioned about, you know, building it in um, and adding it to the scope for for the design. And especially uh, if the, the signal elements and uh, are it's the science she mentioned that undergrounding for sure, but it can also help in case of an evacuation because it is we need to get through the bridge anyway. So it's it some thought um, can be put into it and some notes are um, for the next steps so that it can be activated in the future if needed, something like that. Um, so with that, I have a separate question, um, not about this, just a question on the other roundabout project that I've heard um, few year or several months ago on in in the Bay Farm area. I'm just curious about the status of it, but that's I know it's a yeah. We'll take that separate. Let's stick on the agenda item for right now, please, Commissioner. Um, um, I'm good. Did that conclude your comments, though? Yes, I'm good. Thank you. Other comments? I don't see any any hands up. Um, as I said, I, I'm going to go ahead and make a motion to approve the project concept. I think it's uh, I think it it really threads the needle and meets a lot of objectives really, really well. Um, I'm sure we'll have some lessons learned from it and we'll need to be prepared to make modifications or adjustments as we go forward. Uh, but it's a dramatic improvement over what is currently there regardless. And 
uh, with the one addition of including this. I don't, I, Gail, I'll leave it to staff to figure out the planning aspect of how this would tie in um, to any other architecture, but I'm really just speaking of future-proofing the actual hard infrastructure, not necessarily the smart bits of comms and powers right now, but it's important to do now because of drainage and all the other pieces that are implicated when we start putting conduits in. So I would like to make that addition clear either in the staff report going to council that will be included in there as a part of our recommendation. My motion on the table is to approve the project concept with the addition of future proofing for power and comms in the infrastructure. I will second that motion. We have a second with Commissioner Whitesey. And I will put it to a vote. Lisa, if you could please do the roll call. Uh, yes, Commissioner Johnson. Aye. Commissioner Colstrand is absent. Commissioner Nottagall. Aye. Chair Souls. Aye. Commissioner Susan Fira. Aye. Commissioner Whitesey. Aye. And Vice Chair Ewan. Aye. And the motion passes unanimously. So that will close out agenda item 6A on our agenda this evening. Thank you again so much. Thank you for the public comments that we received as well in uh, writing and, and verbally tonight as well. And everyone's engagement in all the public outreach that has been done on this. I think it was a really impressive, so thank you. Moving on to agenda item seven, announcements and public comments. Any announcements tonight? I don't see any announcements. So I'm gonna move on to public comment where we have one hand raised. If you could welcome Mr. Stralo to the meeting. Good evening again. Hi. Good evening. Gail, Gail Payne mentioned drone videos are in the staff report for item 6A. Is the staff report attached to the legistar.com website for 6A tonight for the general public to get? If so, which attachment is it? None of the attachments are labeled staff report. This is not the first time that such reports are mentioned to the general public yet are not available to the general public on legistar.com. Thank you. Huh? Right, I don't see any other public comments. If I'm, can you just confirm that that is correct? Correct, no one is raising their hand at this time. Okay, thank you. Um, I'll let staff, just because this has come up before, but I believe the staff report is, if you go to Legistar and you click on the actual hyperlink that's in the agenda item itself. It's usually a number, and I think that's just because how Legistar files documents. So I know it's not intuitive, but it is out there. And we can have staff follow up with maybe a screenshot of showing you uh, where where it goes, uh, where, where you would click to be able to access that, that report. And with that, we will close out agenda item seven. I'll take a motion to adjourn for uh, agenda item eight to wrap us up this evening. Oh, Commissioner Susan Thera. You're on mute, you're on mute. Yeah, I asked a question about uh, the other um, roundabout project you asked me to hold. 
Oh, yes, I'm sorry, please go ahead. So we're going to reopen agenda item seven. Um, if that is an announcement, you can uh, do that. You can also uh, ask staff or you can follow up separately and email Lisa, it's up to you. That's fine. It, 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 I think the project uh, I'm talking about is uh, uh, McCartney Road Island Drive um, roundabout. I think it went through the traffic um, transportation commission. And I just want to know what the status is. Okay, uh, let's we can add that to staff communications for the next meeting. So it appears on the agenda as part of staff communications, and uh, make that note, Lisa, that we can uh, figure out what what to um, provide in the next meeting. Sure. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Sorry okay. about that. Sure. Now I will entertain a motion to uh, adjourn the meeting under agenda item eight. Everyone just wants to stay and hang out. I'll make a motion. <laughs> Commissioner Noctegall. I'll second. Thank you so much. We'll not do roll call for closet, closing the meeting, if that's okay, Lisa. I think that's fine. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for spending your <laughs> evening with us. We'll see you next time. Have a good one. Good night. Thank you. Recording.